Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you are tuning in for our annual summer series at the movies, where we explore the spiritual truths behind some of Hollywood's biggest hits. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Today started out as the best day of my life. I, I, I did it! I got the gig! Hey, y'all. Uh, good morning. Ice cold piragua, cherry, strawberry, and just for today, I got my mate. There's something on your shirt. It's time to make some noise. We had to assert our dignity in small ways. Little details that tell the world we are not invisible. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? Make some noise if you're ready for At The Movies. Yeah, you know it. Hey, so glad you're here for our August series. I'm Pastor Tim. If you're new, what we're doing is we're exploring the spiritual truth behind some of Hollywood's biggest hits. Now, before we dive in, pause, this morning, we got to give a special welcome to Liquid Somerset County. They are reopening their campus doors today at the Doubletree in Somerset. We love you guys. So proud of Pastor Chris, his wife Judy, Leilani, the whole Somerset Dream Team. We are thrilled, man. We love you guys. Today's actually special for another reason. After today's service at every campus, we are having our Mastermind Memory Verse Challenge. If you're new this summer, our whole church, we're renewing our minds with God's Word. We're actually memorizing Scripture, a little old school. And I'm just so proud to eat you, especially the kids uh, who've been memorizing all four verses. If you remember, I promised you good humor ice cream after the service if you could recite all four from memory. So today's the day, okay? After today's service, if you can recite all four memory verses, you get good humor ice cream on me. I'm a toasted almond guy. Anybody else? Strawberry shortcake. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. I just want to get the ground rules. You can use your scripture tattoos to help you, but you have to say each word clearly, okay? So we have these scripture tattoos like Romans 12 too. You guys, let's just do it. Ready? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everyone's going to get that, but here's the test if you get ice cream. Then you will be able to do a bunch of God's will, cool stuff, something like that. Romans 12, 2. No, 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 no cheating, okay? No sort of mumbling through. You got to say the whole verse clearly. All four, all right? So no cheating in church to get free ice cream. And I'm talking mainly to the dads, all right? So your campus pastor is going to give local instructions at the end of today's service where to go for the Mastermind Memory Verse Challenge. All right. Well, today you are in for a treat. We're kicking off our annual At The Movies summer sermon series in which what we do is we look at some of Hollywood's biggest hits and say, hey, well, what's the spiritual truth behind them? And so it's kind of fun. You're going to see video clips in church, enjoy some popcorn, and uh, we're going to look at a bunch of stories that you may have streamed during the pandemic and how they actually point us to the life of Jesus Christ. So what the series does is it takes cinema and scripture and brings them together. 
how, do we, uh, how does our culture create conversations that amplify our spiritual faith? And today, I flew in one of my very good friends from Florida, Pastor Zach Taylor, to kick things off. Pastor Zach flew in with his wife, KC, their King Charles Cavalier, Chloe. Give him a hand. She's here today. Thank you. KC is here. Um, Pastor Zach serves at Journey Church in West Palm Beach, Florida, because somebody has to suffer for Jesus. It just has to be done. I'm sorry. But uh, Pastor Zach received his master's degree in theological philosophy from Talbot School of Theology. He's a dynamic storyteller, one of my favorite preachers. So would you give a big, warm, liquid welcome to my friend and brother from another mother, Pastor Zach Taylor. Come on out, brother. Good to see you, my man. Thank you, buddy. Glad you're here. Liquid Church, so good to be with you. How are you guys doing out there? Oh, come on. How you doing? It is good to be here. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to all the locations as well as everyone watching online. We're so glad that you're here today. If you're watching at home, let us know where you're at in the chat, where you're watching from. If it's your car, if it's from work, be a little sneaky there. Um, everyone in the house, can you guys just welcome, welcome, welcome our people at home today with me. Well, my name is Zach Taylor. I'm a big fan and, and just friend of Liquid Church. And I don't know if you know this, but but God's hand is, is truly on this place. Um, pastors from all over the nation are turning to New Jersey to learn from your leadership on how to do ministry. And people from all over the nation have heard of the incredible generosity and compassion that is rising up from you as a church. So you have a ton to be proud of here and to celebrate here at Liquid. And it's just an honor to be here and to see firsthand what God is doing. So thanks for welcoming me into your home today. Uh, in case you didn't catch it from all the popcorn on stage. We're kicking off the At The Movie series where we look at Hollywood's best stories and we see what they can teach us about God's truth. And some of you out there may be asking, why are we looking to Hollywood to show us what truth is? We can just look like right here in the Bible. Uh, and what I want you to know is the scriptures actually tell us to, to do this. See, Romans 1 20. Here's what it says. It says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood for what God has made. And what it saying is that when we turn around and look at the world around us, we're actually able to see how incredible our God is. And the very same thing is actually true of the stories of Hollywood. If you leak deep enough into those stories, you'll actually see that God's fingerprints are all over the place. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the Walt Disney Company is actually probably the greatest gospel preacher of our generation. I'll prove it to you. Don't worry. Take any pretty much Disney movie and it just works for you. Take Frozen, all right? Literally, the plot line is Elsa sings Let It Go a million times. That's your children, not, not just her, but your children have done that a million times. We all fell in love with a talking snowman, and then her powers are being used for evil until Anna sacrifices her life. And that one act of sacrificial love melts a frozen heart. Oh, and then by the way, Anna raises from the dead. Does that story sound a little bit familiar? You talk through Moana. There's this distracting chicken. Um, we found out that the rock could sing, who knew? And then a Demi, son of God, gives up his divinity and power to save all of humanity. And guess what? He also resurrects and his power is eventually restored. Jesus 2.0. You can even look at like the Lion King. They literally use the voice of James Earl Jones to play Simba's father in heaven. And if that isn't the voice of God, I don't know what is. Simba. God's fingerprints are embedded into every single Hollywood story. And if you look closely... If you dive in, you'll see him there. In fact, Jesus tells us 
that if his people fail to give praise and honor to God, that the rocks and the stones, they're going to cry out in their stead. And this makes me a little bit nervous because I don't know about you, but when you look around at our world, it feels like we haven't been doing a lot of honoring of God lately. But watch what happens. The storytellers and the creators of our culture, whether they know it or not, are crying out. Embedded into their works of art is the fingerprints of their creator. And so whether they know it or not, they're proclaiming to the world the very goodness of our God. Their stories cry out in honor to our God. But hear this, Liquid Church, it's our job as the church to hear those stories, to listen to them, to see the fingerprints of God and point people back to him. Are you with me? So for the next weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to tour through some of Hollywood's very best stories, and we're going to learn about what God is saying behind them. So I want to challenge you to join us. Join us as we explore hits like Disney Pixar's Soul, In the Heights by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and A Quiet Place, two, a great lineup. Uh, my wife and I started to watch A Quiet Place 1, um, but we were too scared, so we had to turn it off. So I'm not going to be there that Sunday, uh, but seriously, you're not going to want to miss out on all that's in store for us through At the Movies 2021, incredible weeks ahead. Today, though, we're kicking off the series with Apple TV's hit comedy, Ted Lasso. Has anyone seen this one with me? Yeah. If you haven't watched this series yet, the premise is, is actually both hilarious and heartwarming. Uh, but before we jump in, parents, uh, just a quick heads up. Ted Lasso does contain some just adult language and adult themes. Nothing too crazy, but I wouldn't just jump right in and turn it on for your kids tonight. Um, the premise of the show is that Ted is, is just a football coach from Kansas that takes a job coaching football in the English Premier League. The only problem is that American football... English football are not actually the same thing. And so he actually finds himself coaching soccer. So right away, he's a fish out of water, both in his knowledge of the sport, as well as in the compassionate way that he treats people. In fact, just for you guys, I put together a pie chart for you that, that actually explains the entirety of the premise and plot of the show. Um, 85%, that 85% rec- actually represents that 85% of the show is just proof that soccer is not a real sport. Um, if you want to argue with me, we can fight later about it. It's the show. Ted Lasso proves it. 15% of the show is this idea that kindness wins. Kindness wins in a cynical world. And if you watch this show, you'll notice that it seems like every single person around Ted is out to see him fail. Yet despite knowing this, every single person he encounters is treated with kindness, with compassion, with dignity, and with respect. And in every sense of the phrase, Ted is a Jesus figure that teaches all of us how to deal with difficult, critical, and sometimes evil people. Do you have any of those people in your life? I know that I do. So if you've ever found yourself in conflict, frustrated by people around you, If you've ever felt like the world was just against you and you're disappointed by how divisive and critical our world has become, today is for you. Ted Lasso is for you. Liquid Church presents Ted Lasso. How y'all doing? Oh. Let's go chill. I told you. One second. Still got a little dry. Did not expect fizzy water there, sorry. <laughs> Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah, no, should have saw that coming. Uh, you know what? Put your hands down real quick. Um, how about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. At any level. Jesus. 
Um, and heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I do know. I know that AFC Richmond, like any team I've ever coached, is going to go out there and give you everything they got for all four quarters. Uh, what was that? Two uh, Oh, right, sorry. Halves, yeah. They're going to give you everything they got for two halves, win or lose. Or tie. Right, y'all do ties here. Sorry, that's going to take some getting used to for me, okay? Because back where I'm from, you try to end the game in a tie, well, that might as well be the first sign of the apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) And now, look here, I respect what you folks in the media do. And my door is always going to be open. All right, you can ask me anything. No topic will be in to touch. All right, one final question. Uh, How about the fellow right there in the second row there? Yeah. Trent Crim, The Independent. I just want to make sure I have this right. You're an American who's never set foot in England, whose athletic success has only come at the amateur level, a second-tier one at that, and has now been charged with the leadership of a Premier League football club despite clearly possessing very little knowledge of the game. Do you even name any footballers? Uh, well, yeah, you got Ronaldo and uh, the fellow that bends it like himself. Who won the league last year? I actually don't know the answer to that. I'm sorry. What's a goalie? The, the fellow with the big Mickey Mouse hands in the, uh, by the net. Come on, let's hear for Ted Lasso. I mean, in his defense, soccer really isn't a real sport, um, so we're going to let him off the hook. But as soon as you enter into this series, you actually immediately get a feel for the world that he's entering into. Everyone's against him, and there's division everywhere. The fans are outraged that an American football coach has been brought in to coach their beloved team, so much so that every single time Ted walks outside his apartment, he gets cursed out. To make matters worse, the team that Lasso inherits hates each other, and the only thing that's bringing them together is their common hatred for their new coach. And then the media, led by the consummate critic Trent Krim, um, they're watching and they're critiquing every single decision and mistake along the way. And then lastly, he's got a team owner named Rebecca, who literally brought him there as a way to destroy the team in order to get back at her ex-husband. The only thing that every person in this show has in common is that they're outraged about something. And what I find interesting about this show is that it was released in the fall of 2020. Fall of 2020. And if you think about what was going on in that time, it was right in the middle of one of the most outrageous times in our history. Just start counting up the social issues and the division in our country. Whether or not to wear a mask had somehow turned into a news debate. You have one of the most contentious elections in U.S. history boiling over into pop culture. The conversation, or maybe you can even say like the lack of conversation on racial inequality, had risen to the forefront of our minds as a country, and the terms Karen and cancel culture started to become part of our everyday language to describe the people we don't like or simply don't agree with. And if we're honest, I don't know that we're doing much better in summer of 2021. See, the parallels between our world and the world that Ted steps into are just remarkable. See, just like Ted, sometimes we too as followers of Jesus can feel like a fish out of water in our own culture. 
If you just take a quick survey at the scriptures and how they define how we should live, it stands in just the stark contrast to our culture. Galatians 5 teaches us uh, that our lives should be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that love is patient and love is kind. Romans 12 tells us to live at peace with all people. Ephesians 4 says to encourage one another and build each other up. Matthew 5, Jesus explains that we ought to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. This is who God is calling us to be. But even though we've been told all of these things, we all know those things. You could be told as kids that sharing is caring, kindness is king. It's truly hard to treat people that way, isn't it? It's hard for, for me to treat people that way. And I found out that the reason why is because sometimes people are just the worst, aren't they, anyone? I'll tell you what I mean. I remember the day for, for Casey and I, we were moving into our first house together. We were freshly married. We're so excited for this new life together. And as we're carrying out our furniture into our home, that's when we met her. A sweet older woman from the neighborhood. She came as a friend, and I didn't know it at the time, but she was actually my mortal foe. She brought cookies to us to welcome us to the neighborhood. She said, we're so glad that you moved in. My name is Miss Mary, and I'm your neighbor. What I didn't realize is that she should have introduced herself as Nemesis. See, not long after we moved, Miss Mary began to reveal her true form, and the terror began. It started when I'd pull up my truck coming home from work. She'd bustle outside and wave me down and say hi. The audacity. Soon when I'd walk my dog outside our Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, she'd pop around the corner and say, hey, 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 what you doing? Walking my dog. How dare she? And every time I walked out of my house, she would chase me down, try to have a conversation with me. And I started looking around the windows before I'd walk outside just so that I could avoid her at all costs. She's terrifying and terrorizing me at every turn. Pause in the story. Many of you sitting in this room are looking at me with a lot of judgment in your eyes. Zach, she's just a sweet old woman. Some of you are trying to like make it like I'm a pastor and I need to be kinder or something like that. And all that proves is that she actually just lulled you into the same sense of false security that she first created in me. Don't be fooled by Miss Mary. Unpause from the story. Because what made Miss Mary particularly offensive was the fact that she wore the exact same clothes every single day. Down in the South, we, we call this outfit a moo-moo. Um, and what they are is, is a dress that older women specifically, typically wear to bed in the evenings. It's supposed to, again, keywords supposed to, go down around the knees, and it's just something comfortable to wear to bed. For Miss Mary, however, her moo-moo radius had extended far, far, far beyond the bedroom and into my front yard quite frequently at this point. The issue compounded um, that these moo-moos were not new by any means. They'd been on her for decades. And if you know anything about fabric over time, and over washes, it shrinks and shrinks. And more specifically, over years and decades, it shrinks and shrinks a lot. Human bodies, however, in, in my opinion, in my experience, often do the exact opposite. The more washes we take on, the more years and decades of life, uh, we tend to get a little bit larger and larger. And so you can imagine the scene of me walking out my door, Miss Mary chasing me down, chasing me down, and you can just imagine the scene of what's waiting for me every single time I show up at my house, every time she's there just waiting for me, and all of this terror came to a head one sunny day in spring. In fact, after a long winter, it was the first day of spring, the first day that we could open up our windows. I was excited for the fresh air. I could not wait, and I go to the windows. I open up each blind. I go into our bedroom, and this is the last window to open. I'm so excited to just have this cross breeze coming through my house, and I open it up to the bedroom, which backs up against Miss Mary's yard. It was at that exact 
exact moment, she had happened to take advantage of the warm weather herself, not to take it in in the sun, but actually to hang out her clothing on the line. On the line right there. And so I opened my window. I'm expecting to see the sun, and instead the full moon was just shining right back at me. That was the last straw. I went to Case and I said, babe, I've, I've got some bad news. There's enemies all around us. We are moving right now. And we laugh because moo-moo moonings are funny. They really are. But if we're honest with ourselves, this message that enemies are all around us is exactly what this world would want us to believe. When you jump on social media, the algorithms are specifically designed to only show you the most offensive and incendiary posts because those are the ones that garner the most hits. And if we're not careful, what can happen is we can turn the people that God has defined to us as our neighbors and begin to fear them and see them as our nemesis. We can let the cynical nature of our world actually begin to change the way we view the people that are sitting right in front of us. And that's why the story of Ted Lasso is so needed for us today. I believe that he can teach us how to live out this calling that God has given us to love others. I think that he can teach us how to see people the way that God does. And most importantly, Ted Lasso showed us, shows us that the power of kindness has to change the lives around us. In fact, on his very first day of practice as the new coach, he puts his arm around one of his team members named Sam, who's struggling, and he gives him some advice and some encouragement. And at first, it seems like Ted is just sharing some football tips or soccer tips. But if you listen carefully, you can actually hear that he's going to share his own life secret of how to treat people well. Check it out. Remember what you said to me our first day coaching at Wichita State? Lose the ponytail. Relax, they're just kids. Well, these fellas sure as heck ain't kids. Hey, look at Isaac. He looks like Rodin sculpture in cleats. Boots. Hmm? They call cleats boots. Well, I thought you said that the trunk of a car was a boot. Also a boot. Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. All right, gentlemen. Let's go ahead and do a little seven on seven. We're gonna call this drill the exorcist because it's all about controlling possession. All right, let's go. So we'll get some flowers because this spot here is where Sam died. It's very sad. Hey, Sam, come here a sec. Coach, I'm, I'm sorry. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10 second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. Yeah? Yeah, you got it. Go ahead. You guys got it, right? You got it? <laughs> Do you know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. It's a 10 second memory. And essentially, Ted is saying, forget it move on because it's just not worth it. And for Sam in this moment, he's referring to a bad play made on the soccer field. But for Lasso, this mantra actually describes his entire life. It describes the way that he intersects, interacts with every single person that he encounters. All throughout the show, when people say offensive things to Ted, he's a goldfish. 10 seconds and he moves on. When people let him down, He's a goldfish, 10 seconds, and he moves on. When people don't believe in him, he's a goldfish, 10 seconds, and he moves on. This advice from Ted is actually to be unoffendable, and it's at the very heart of how he's able to treat people so well. But at first glance, when you just look at it, it actually feels really, really silly. 
And then I started to wonder, how many offenses in my life, how many offenses in, in our life are we holding on to that we should have forgotten and letting go of a long time ago? Maybe it was the, the teacher who irresponsibly told you you wouldn't amount to anything. Maybe it's something the ex-boyfriend did or communicated that told you that you didn't have worth. Maybe it was the words your boss spoke out without thinking that now just have power over you. Maybe it's something your friend did or said that just keeps replaying over and over and over again in your mind. Maybe it's something on social media that sucked you in and frustrated you all day. Maybe it's the person that cut me off in traffic this morning, and now I'm holding against all of you New Jersey drivers. How many offenses are we holding on to that we should have forgotten a long time ago? Be a goldfish. Because I'll just be honest with you, we don't have time to walk around offended. See, what happens when we let these small offenses stick in our life is that it doesn't just rob us of our joy. When we hold on to them, we actually begin to see people differently. They color the way we're actually able to see people. And rather than seeing them as people of value created in God's image, we allow a cynicism to rise up inside of us. And we begin to expect people to just let us down. And eventually, what's going to happen is we'll wind up viewing the people around us as burdens or even worse, as enemies. Every single one of us, every single one of us knows how God wants us to treat people. Yet I'll tell you this, Satan would love nothing more than for us to walk through life frustrated and disappointed by the people around us. He would love nothing more than to convince you that your friends, your neighbors, the people around you are out to get you. You could say it like this, Satan wants you to remain offended so that you'll never actually become effective. I'll say it again. Satan wants you to remain offended so that you'll never actually become effective. And I know this is true because it happened to me. See, it was two months after the mooning incident. I was coming to grips with my reality. This was my life, still avoiding Miss Mary at all costs, until one day I heard a knocking on my door. And sure enough, I opened the door, and it was her. And sure enough, she was wearing her moo-moo. And sure enough, it was far too little fabric. And sure enough, she carried with her a plate of cookies. Out of southern manners, I invited and was forced to invite her into my house like a sheep in the wolf's den. So, so no, it's like a wolf in the sheep's den. I'm the sheep in this story. <laughs> and we sat down on the couch and her across from me and she crossed her legs. It, it didn't help, by the way. Um, and I reached for one of her chocolate chip cookies. They weren't chocolate chip cookies. They were raisin cookies. And now you know the sort of person that I'm dealing with here. And as I sat there talking to her, I listened. And for maybe the first time, I listened to the words that she was saying, and those words that she said in that moment, sitting down across from me, are like daggers that'll probably be with me for the rest of my life. She said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I keep bugging you all the time. It just feels so good to have someone to talk to again. I haven't had that in so many months, and I've just been so lonely. You didn't get a chance to meet him, but my my husband moved into assisted living facility just a couple weeks before you guys moved in, and you would have loved him. He was just the best person in the entire world. He has Alzheimer's. And it just got to the point where I could no longer take care of him, and I just feel so guilty for abandoning him that, that most days I, I can't even get up and get dressed in the morning. And those daggers went deep into my chest, and the tears started coming out of my eyes, and the tears started coming out of her eyes. And I realized what had happened. See, God had placed me next door to someone who was desperate for hope, desperate for love, desperate for acceptance. But because of my offense towards her, I had become ineffective 
as a follower of Jesus. And here's what I know is there are people. There's people all around you that are in desperate need of God's love. They're in desperate need of his acceptance and the hope that you have sitting in your hand. Maybe it's the neighbor that keeps mooning you. Probably that's just be. Maybe it's the barista at Starbucks that got your order wrong. Maybe it's the spouse that knows exactly what button to press to make you angry. Maybe it's the coworker that goes out of their way to take credit for your work. Maybe it's the parents that you've never shown love to you. Maybe it's the child that every single day pushes you to the brink of sanity and your parents out there. Maybe it's the New Jersey driver that cut me off in traffic this morning. I'm still a little frustrated about it. The people around you, though, are desperate for what I have. And they're desperate for what you have. And can I just take a second just to remind you of what you have to offer the hurting and the broken around you? Can I speak purpose and destiny over you right now, Liquid Church? Because Matthew 5, Jesus tells you that you're salt, which means that wherever you go, you look better and you taste better than anything else. And because of you, they are going to look better. They're going to taste better. Romans 13, Paul says that you are light. You can descend into the darkness of any situation and shine bright. 1 Peter 2 says that you are a kingdom of priests, priests that connect people back to their relationship with God. Colossians 1 says that you were chosen to make God known in this world. 1 Corinthians 12 says that you are the hands and you are the feet of Jesus. You bring hope and healing wherever you go. Matthew 5 says you're a city on a hill. That means that you're a beacon on the path pointing people back to God. You're a people of hope. You're a people of love. You're a people of compassion. Liquid Church, let's speak to our culture right now, today, and let's know. Let it know that we're not going to be offended. Let's go to the people in our lives and be who God has called us to be. Let's be that light. Let's be that salt. Let's be that city on a hill. Let's step into the world and be the hands and the feet of Jesus. But here's the thing. It starts with you and it starts with the people right in front of you every single day. Maybe even the people that just offended you. Can I give you a warning though? If you do this, if you walk through life treating people this way, the critics will come. For Ted Lasso, his advice to Sam and the rest of the team to be a goldfish actually starts to work. They begin to forget their petty offenses and start seeing each other as brothers rather than as enemies. And just as the team starts to play better and are all beginning to be united under this common purpose, the media begins to take their shots. In fact, Rebecca, the team owner, in an attempt to sabotage Ted and the team, sets up an all-day interview with Trent Krim a reporter writing a smear piece against Coach Lasso. As the two sit down for dinner together, watch the way that Ted even treats his critics. Ted Lasso? Hey there, Ollie. Leave it, Ollie, what are you doing here? Wait, I mean, you invited me, remember? I invite every person who's been in my car. Oh, hey, Ollie, this is my friend Trent. Trent, this is my buddy Ollie. This is me. Congrats, you both just met a cool person. <laughs> right, gentlemen. You know what you're having? Uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, whatever the chef recommends. Ah, uh, that'd be my father-in-law. Are you okay with a little bit of spice? Have him make it for us like we're a couple members of the family. <laughs> you're a brave man. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Oh, man. That might not be the wisest of choices. Here you go, boys. <sighs> Dig in. Can't wait. It smells already deep inside my brain. Gonna love it. Oh, <laughs> appreciate it. Can't imagine they have good Indian food in Kansas. Oh, I have no idea. I've never had Indian food. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so, if uh, you love Kansas so much, why did you 
Why did you leave to coach a sport that you can never barely uh, you know anything about? Or was it just the money? Wait, I'm supposed to be getting paid? Ted, mm -hmm. what you're doing is irresponsible. This club actually means something to this town. I know that. Tramp, I love coaching. For me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. And it ain't always easy, Tramp. But neither is growing up without someone believing in you. I really should go. Deadlines and all. Yeah, yeah, you gotta do the work. I, I, I'll say this, though. I really enjoyed getting to spend this time with you, Tramp. You actually mean that, don't you? From the very beginning of the series, Trent has been out to take Ted down. And as the scene is taking place, he's actively writing a piece meant to embarrass Ted. Knowing all of that, Lasso still sits down and shares a meal with his worst critic. And I love how this scene ends. Ted leans in and says, I really enjoyed getting to spend this time with you. And Trent's just confused by this point. And he says, you really mean that, don't you? Trent and, and everyone else has been looking at Ted as if he's just a fool. They look down on him. They mock him. They interpret his kindness as weakness. Um, but our world has always done that, hasn't it? If you go back to the Old Testament, there's, there's this moment when God finally describes himself to his people. And for the first time, they get to hear what God is like. And it's Exodus 34. And here's what God describes himself as. He says, I'm the Lord, the Lord. The word's actually Yahweh, Yahweh. He's saying his name. I'm Yahweh, Yahweh. And then watch how he describes himself. He says, I'm the compassionate and gracious God that's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And we read that and we just, we just kind of move on because of course that's how God's supposed to be. He's supposed to be kind. He's supposed to be gracious. He's supposed to be compassionate. But if you read that maybe like 5,000 years ago when it was written, it would seem quite foolish to you. See, during this time and during this area um, in history of the ancient Near East, and throughout most of the time of the Old Testament, you would find these cities um, and nations that were at war with each other in tribal warfare. And the superiority of one's God was actually determined on the battlefield. So imagine you're going to war with me as part of Israel's army. You show up on the battlefield and meet your opponent, and on one side of the field is the Philistines. And they're calling on their God Dagon, and he's the God of the storm who calls down lightning and thunder from heaven. Pretty, pretty intimidating, I'll just say. On the other hand, on the other side of the field is one of the smaller Canaanite tribes serving Moloch, the God who eats children with fire. And now he's coming after your children, and I'm scared just talking about it. Still on top of the hill, ready to attack, are the Moabites, and they're calling on Chamash, the destroyer, the subduer, who now has a taste for blood. And then lastly, on the battlefield, on this side, is the Canaanites. And they're worshiping Baal, the god of sex and fertility. And you look at their army, and you're not super worried about their god, but it does seem like they have way more men than everyone else. I think they're just good recruiters or something. You see these other powerful, strong, intimidating, and aggressive gods. And then your side calls out once more, this is the god that we serve. We serve Yahweh, Yahweh, the, the compassionate one the gracious one. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And, and he's really faithful. So, so you should definitely fear us. Or else he may get you. He's going to love you too much. And that would be the worst. You'd hate that love. And so you can imagine how foolish God would look in these moments when he first describes himself. You can imagine how foolish the people of God must have felt showing up on the battlefield, going up against the God who eats children for breakfast. And then you know, well, I got the compassionate and gracious one today. 
The world has always interpreted kindness as weakness. But can I point something out to you? 5,000 years later, I don't see any idols to Shamash the destroyer up here on stage, do you? He doesn't seem all that powerful to me anymore. Last time, the last time I was in a thunderstorm back home, I didn't see anyone outside on the street worshiping Dagon as the thunder and lightning came in. But today, do you know what I do see? There's thousands of people in New Jersey praising Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God. And every weekend at my church back home, I see thousands praising God that throughout history, so many have called weak. And all around the globe, billions of people call on the same God that has always just looked a little bit foolish compared to the ways of the world. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, here's, here's how he says it in 1 Corinthians. He says, He says that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And while the other gods of the Old Testament may have used fear and intimidation to silence their critics, that's not what our God does. In fact, Paul in Romans 2.4 says it's God's kindness that leads us back to repentance, that pulls us back to him. What that means is that God doesn't coerce us. He doesn't demand or strong-arm people into following him. He uses kindness. He uses his kindness to draw them near. In other words, you could say it like this, that there's something contagious about kindness. There's something about it that just draws us in that's irresistible. Something about it can turn the harshest critic of people that were once on the battlefield against God that can bring them back to him. You can turn with kindness and a critic and turn them into an ally to your cause. And at the end of his time with Ted, um, the reporter goes back, Trent Krim, and he writes an article and everyone's expecting him to just crush Ted, but here's the words that he actually says. He says that the lasso way is wrong. It's hard to imagine being right. In a business that celebrates ego, Ted reigns him in. I can't help but root for him. Kindness can change the people around us. Kindness can silence our critic. But what do we do about the people that don't deserve for us to treat them that way? There are some offenses that even goldfish can't forget. There are some wounds that are just so deep that it feels impossible to let them go. What do we do in situations like that? At the very end of season one, there's a radical moment between Rebecca, the team owner, and Ted. And I believe this is one of the most powerful scenes of the entire series and maybe one of the most powerful scenes in movie history that I've seen. We find out that Rebecca has been working against Ted this whole time behind the scenes to sabotage him at every step. He's fully been portrayed at this moment in a way that's just impossible to forget. Watch in this moment how Ted responds because I'll just tell you, it's a Jesus response. Ted, I lied to you. I hired you because I wanted this team to lose. I wanted you to fail. Then I sabotaged you every chance I've had. I set up the interview with Trent Krim, hoping that he would humiliate you. This club is all that Rupert has ever cared about, and I wanted to destroy it, to cause him as much pain and suffering as he has caused me. And I didn't care who I used or who I hurt. All you good people just trying to make a difference. Ted, I'm so sorry. (laughs) 
If you want to quit or call the press, I'll completely understand. I forgive you. You what? Why? Divorce is hard. And it doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or if you're the one who got left. It makes folks do crazy things. Hell, I'm coaching soccer, for heaven's sake. <laughs> In London. <laughs> I mean, that's nuts. <laughs> yeah. But this job you gave me has changed my life. Yeah, but you and me, we're okay. Come on, just shake this hand. My arm's starting to get... You know, I think that if you care about someone and you got a little love in your heart, there ain't nothing you can't get through together. You know what I'm saying? Forgiveness is the ultimate act of kindness. The scriptures, they teach us that there's no greater display of the foolishness of God than Jesus' own act of forgiveness towards us on the cross. In his graciousness and compassion, God sent his son into the world as a helpless and tiny baby foolishness. This baby grew into the person of Jesus, and Jesus, as God himself, taught humanity how to live at peace with one another and at peace with God. He healed the sick. He brought hope everywhere that he went. He was God amongst us, and he lived this absolutely perfect life, and humanity saw that kindness as weakness, and in their cynicism, we put the God of the universe on trial, sentenced him to death, death on a cross, and while Jesus is hanging there with his dying breath, he could have called down lightning and thunder on his enemies and critics. He could have removed himself from the cross and destroyed and subdued all of humanity, feasting on their blood, and instead he looked out at his actual enemies, the people that had put him to death in that moment, and he cried out, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. The God of the universe extending forgiveness to the humans that just sentenced him to death is absolute folly. But I do know this, there's nothing better than receiving a forgiveness that we don't deserve. So can I say this, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've been through, Jesus' statement on the cross is the same, I forgive you, and in the words of Ted Lasso, we are okay. And the people in your life may not be able to extend to you this level of forgiveness, but our God always will. And so because of the forgiveness that you receive from him, you now have something to give to every single person in your life. But be careful, because if you start doing this, you might just find yourself in some really awkward situations. For me, that moment was at 2 a.m. when I heard someone knocking on my door. I put clothes on, and sure enough, Miss Mary was standing there at my front porch, and sure enough, she was standing there in her moo-moo. In her defense, it was the middle of the night, so this wardrobe was a bit more appropriate today. I could tell she was distraught, so I had her sit on my couch. She crossed her legs. It didn't help. Over the last few months, I found out about her husband, um, and Miss Mary and I had become really close. We would sit down together in her parlor every week. We'd share tea together. She told me all about her life, and we'd become close friends by this point. She'd shown me the picture of her grandson on her mantle and asked for me to be praying for him because he was going through a difficult time and had even kind of turned his back on God and was kind of done with him. 
And that night she needed my help. She said to me, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to go there. And I wasn't sure what she was talking about, but I eventually found out that her grandson, who's practically her only last surviving family member, had been arrested that night. She asked me something she should never have asked me. She said, can you go and talk to him? I just can't see him like that. And I, I couldn't refuse. And so at 8 a.m. the next morning, I went to the city jail where, where he was being held. And this is going to surprise you a bit, um, but I'd never really been to jail before. <laughs> so I wasn't sure what to expect. I went up to the clerk and gave the grandson's name. The clerk said, would you like me to check him out to you? And I said, yeah, I, I mean, I guess so. Is that normal? She didn't respond to my question. She just turned around and disappeared. About two minutes later, she came back with a bright red pair of and ones and a bag that appeared to be his belongings. And so I'm standing there in the lobby of a jail, holding on to a red pair of and ones. Sometimes kindness looks pretty foolish, doesn't it? And as he walks out, his look of confusion is just as thick as my feeling of awkwardness. And I tried to explain to him, your grandma sent me. We're really close friends. I know that's weird. She wears the moo-moo, same person. Okay, great. I've never been to jail before, but they handed me your shoes. Is there anything I can do for you? Can I give you a ride? And he looked at me for a second, confused, and said yes. And after putting on his shoes, we entered into the longest and most awkward car ride I have ever been in. About 25 minutes of silence later, the longest 25 minutes of my life, he looked over to me and he said, what's, what's different about you? And, it, and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I always see you spending time with my grandma and she always talks so highly about you and you showed up to jail to pick me up. You're standing there with the and ones. Why would someone do that? Who does that for people? What's different about you? Sometimes kindness looks pretty foolish, doesn't it? But there's also something irresistible about it. And when he asked those questions, I had an answer lined up. Lined up and ready to go, and I told him about a God that walked through earth, filled with graciousness and compassion. I told him that this God came down in the person of Jesus and brought healing and hope to every single person that he met. But that humanity rejected God, sentenced him to death, and with his dying breath, Jesus extended forgiveness. And I pulled over the truck, and I looked him eye to eye on the side of the road, and I told him every single one of us has done things that we're not proud of. Every single one of us has crossed the line that we said that we never would. Every single one of us has hurt the people around us and un imaginable ways. And I know that you're probably feeling all of those things right now. He nodded yes. And I said, if Jesus was here, he would say, I forgive you. If your grandma was here, she would say, I forgive you. But they're not here. So on their behalf, can I tell you, I forgive you. And that day, Miss Mary's grandson met Jesus and experienced the foolish kindness of our God. Liquid Church, you serve a God who is foolishly kind, so you too can be foolishly kind. You have been forgiven, so you too carry with you the power of forgiveness. Can I remind you once again that you're salt, that you're light, that you're city on a hill, that you're a beacon to the hopeless, that you're the hands and the feet of Jesus. You are a people of compassion. You're a people of hope. And everywhere you walk, people are blessed because of your God. And so our world is desperate for what you have. Can I give you one last challenge? Go and be kind. Let me pray for you. 
Lord, thank you so much for being a gracious and compassionate God. Thank you for your foolish kindness towards us. We pray that we can see the people around us in our life, that we wouldn't be offended by them, but rather we'd put our arm around them and carry them in close because we know that you put us in their life. Lord, we lift up every single person right now and we pray that they would experience your forgiveness, that they would know your forgiveness, that they would know your kindness in the most foolish way possible. And beyond that, we pray as agents of light in your world that we would spread hope, that we would spread kindness everywhere that we go. Empower us to do that, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.